G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language, references to violence, sexual abuse and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. Previously, on Who Killed Leanne Holland. The original police brief of evidence against Graham Stafford and what was presented to the jury at his trial was variously described by judges as a strong forensic and circumstantial case. That is, until it was, which resulted in his conviction being quashed. If you want to sum it up, you could say that the investigators in both of those cases, the Andalay case and the Leanne Holland case, were too quick to fix on or commit to a theory explaining a crime and they risked failing to see evidence that would disprove that crime and they really distorted evidence that they did find to make it fit into the framework of their favoured theory. According to forensic scientist and criminologist Dr Xanthi Mallet, anyone can be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And if the case is not investigated appropriately in the first instance, it is almost impossible to prove innocence in the next. Victims can spend years of their lives going through every level in the system and still come up short. So this was important because the police had accused Stafford of lying when he, when he claimed that he did not dye Leanne's hair. A 610 Media production. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland. Chapter 15. Truth will out. Well, g'day, Graeme, and where in the world are you? Hi, Jamie. We're in Longreach, mate. Um, about 1300k northwest of Brisbane, out in the red dirt. Fabulous part of the country, actually. So it's the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> There's not much out here, although there is the, it is the, um, the original headquarters of Qantas, our national carrier. Mm. The head, head office was out here in the 20s. Uh, the museum is well worth a visit. It also has the Stockman Hall of Fame, which is fabulous and um, generally a great part of the country, but quite remote. So there's no coronavirus there? Well, there's plenty of uh, restrictions in place, but no actual cases. And so where are you actually recording from? Are you in your um, 
we're in our fifth wheeler in the caravan mm. park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. so we might hear some wind chimes yep. and some animals. There's a resident a frog in the park just behind us. He usually chimes in every so often, so we might hear him. And we might hear uh, a tinny being opened or cracking a cold one because <laughs> it's, it's five o'clock somewhere when you're caravanning, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is true. You might. Baxter, Baxter might, uh, might have some input if he sees us. Mm. Passing dog. So obviously uh, we decided to wrap up at Chapter 15, but this is not permanent. Obviously, if there's some uh, important information that comes to light, we can share it through a bonus episode. That's that's no problem. That's right. We could go on forever, right? We could. We could. And there's and there's still a lot of information that, you know, that hasn't been told, but you do have to draw the line somewhere, I guess, and, and then we've mm. agreed this is it. Yep, that's true. But, you know, Jamie, this... This is a really valid and interesting chapter because, as we mentioned, it, there is actually an obligation on the part of the Queensland the government. They're, it's compulsory that they hold an inquest into mm-hmm. the death of, but they're refusing. Mm-hmm. And the Attorney General's uh, decision is, is not reviewable. We're going to have to persuade her to change her mind somehow. And we'll hear from David Field later about that matter actually. Mm. Graham, you were on the road when I recorded Chapter 14 and uh, you did Chapter 13 on your own. What was your uh, thoughts of Chapter 14? Very powerful, Jamie. Um, you know, it's, it's evident and it's obvious, but it's not commonly known that there are a lot of flaws with, the, um, with forensic evidence. And, and as we mentioned in, or as you mentioned in that podcast, um, there is this perception in the community that if it's forensic, well, it must be factual. It must be accurate. True. But it's not. No. No, and learning from Ted Dews, who's a very educated and uh, knowledgeable man, pointing out those crucial errors in cases such as the Lindy Chamberlain case, um, which is very well known, but that was just unbelievable what he was saying about that. Um I, I love the way that he's approached police investigation work from a scientific angle. And mm. I've, I've never considered it before, but it's very, very interesting way to approach it. Yeah, so Ted Dews is actually an Archibald Prize winner for economics. Oh, really? In 1973. Yeah, a very educated man. Yeah, that's definite. Yeah. Um, and we're very grateful that he gave us his time and expertise to discuss forensic errors. Mm. There's some similarities between those um, high-profile cases and Graham Stafford's case. A lot of similarities, Jamie. And, and again, you know, I just can't stress enough that um, the Stafford case is purely forensic with some dodgy circumstantial stuff thrown in. And if, if forensic has got problems with it, well, how can you base the whole case just on forensics? Agreed. Also, so the petition... Uh, it has 4,417 signatures at the moment. Please continue to share and sign that if you are interested at all. And we will be forwarding that to the Attorney General um, in a, at a later date. I don't see any Russian forwarding it to. I think the more signatures, the better. And, uh, and we just have to keep the pressure on her to change her, her ruling on holding a, um, an inquest. Okay, some feedback. Now, this one is 
a message that was left on the ACAST supporter donation page. So thank you to those people who have donated um, to us. It goes a long way. Um, It's very much appreciated. This one is from Steve. Hi, Jamie. It's Steve again. Thanks to you, Graham, and your team for a wonderful effort. It's people like you guys that make the world a better place. It's clear there has been a miscarriage of justice here, and I hope Graham can get some compensation and those who did wrong are prosecuted. Well, thank you very much, Steve, and we agree. Uh, Jamie, this is from Amanda. Great work, guys, and keep going. She asks um, three or four questions here. I wish I had the answers to them. Would a child sex offender group be involved? Question mark. Are any of the police involved in the committing of the murder? Question mark. Don't you think that having a friendship with Pedo Pete goes beyond the boundaries of informant? What about the prison system and allowing them to take Pedo Pete out and about? The courts put them there. How the hell do they get to let him out? What a joke. I mean, who else gets this treatment? More like co-conspirators. Has the clothing and other items been retested using new DNA techniques? Another review in Queensland should be undertaken. Where is our Prime Minister and our Federal Government? They should be there to ensure the law is upheld, the rights of our people protected, and that the public be told the truth. This one is from Sparrow. Really loving your podcast. I've binged all the episodes this week. I can't even put into words the feelings I have for Leanne and the life she never got to have and the miscarriage of justice for Graham. Well done on speaking up for both these victims. An inquiry is a must. Good on you, lads. This feedback comes from someone who doesn't wish to be identified. I find it insurmountable, the evidence and discoveries that continue. The questions keep growing rather than being answered is becoming bigger than Ben-Hur. There is no way this case is losing momentum. In my eyes, there will be no choice but to hold an inquest. I want an inquest. Leanne deserves an inquest. There are more stakeholders in this investigation than that of Leanne or Graham. Other families involved in this case that has provided possible leads and evidence needs closure. If universities are using this case and students are interested, the public interest will grow. Students talk and they will keep on talking. They will continue to have opinions and voice them. The best thing that can happen to put all this to sleep is to do the right thing and make those accountable. No public interest, what bollocks, if I have ever heard it. One question we were asked by a listener was, did Graeme Stafford ever make a complaint to the Crime and Misconduct Commission? So, Graeme, I think you're best to answer this. Okay. Yes, he did. Um, Graeme Stafford was released from prison in 2006 And one of the first things he did was make a complaint to the Queensland Police Service and the Crime and Misconduct Commission, alleging fabrication of evidence, perjury by witnesses at his trial, and the fact that pedophile Pete had been removed from custody on numerous occasions by police, amongst other matters. In fact, pretty much everything we've discussed in this podcast he raised with those authorities when he made the complaint. And as a result of that complaint in 2006, I was interviewed at length by two detective sergeants from the CMC or the Crime and Misconduct Commission. Once again, I cooperated fully and provided them with all the information in my possession. Thankfully, as far as I'm aware anyway, I was not threatened with arrest on that occasion. Their body language told me they were very interested in what I had to tell them. And a follow-up conversation two days later confirmed they were very keen, excited in fact, to be able to... uh, conduct the investigation. 
But a week later, I received a telephone call from them to say they'd been instructed from above to walk away from it. End of story. So Graham Stafford makes a complaint. In March 2017, he received a reply in relation to the complaint, which said in part, having regard to the lapse of time between the alleged misconduct and the making of this complaint, we have decided that the information is such that to further investigate this matter would be an unjustifiable use of resources as any productive investigation is unlikely. Jamie, the irony, mate, the irony. Banged up for banged up for 15 years, immediately making complaint upon his release from prison, only to be told due to the lapse of time no investigation would be conducted. If it wasn't so serious, it'd be humorous. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> just... just <laughs> You know, I've said before, at the risk of repeating myself, you just can't make this stuff up. But there's more because we've mentioned before the Dangerous Liaisons report from the CMC in 2009, Mm -hmm. which dealt with police unlawfully removing prisoners from custody, which can be found on the website, Who Killed Leanne Holland. So the CMC were well aware of the claims regarding pedophile Pete being removed from custody, which were made in 2006. I think their investigation into uh, police removing uh, prisoners commenced in 2001, 2002, something like that. So why didn't they investigate those claims as part of dangerous liaisons? We don't know, but we really would like to know. Perhaps the coroner can ask on our behalf. As previously discussed, uh, there has never been a coronial inquest into Leanne Holland's death. And one of the reasons for this podcast is to persuade the Queensland Attorney General that a coronial inquest is not only necessary, but vital and critical. So you may have started seeing a pattern in this case. The Queensland police have concluded they got it right twice, that Graham Stafford is the killer and he acted alone. End of story, matter closed, nothing to see here, Uh, leave it alone. There's no need for a coronial inquest. Well, we say the evidence does not support their theory, and we have shown you that uh, throughout these chapters. And the police refuse to entertain that they have made a mistake, that they arrested the wrong man, let a killer roam free. So we are asking for an independent look at the case. And by independent, we mean uh, a coronial inquest, because an inquest is separate from the Queensland Police. And to be blunt, the Queensland Police can't interfere with it. The coroner can force the Queensland Police kicking and screaming, if necessary, to the table with the police review in hand for public consumption. And the coroner would be able to independently investigate the various claims and allegations and call any and all witnesses in this very seedy mess. And I can guarantee Graham Stafford's lawyers would ensure all relevant matters were aired and discussed and all relevant witnesses called. We say, put pedophile Pete and Sean McFedrin in the hot seat under the spotlight, and force them to answer some very difficult questions. And we previously said finding Graham Stafford did not kill Leanne Holland would have been very, very problematic for the Queensland Police and the Queensland Government. A matter best left unresolved, perhaps. So pedophile Pete's family claim it's unsubstantiated that the CMC, Crime Misconduct Commission, gave Pete a new identity at one time. This is an impressive claim. If true, he must have been a very trusted informant with solid information. You will recall a former police superintendent saying that pedophile Pete was an excellent informant and gave him a character reference to boot. And if you recall in chapter four in the crosshairs, 
We spoke about the first day Leanne Holm was reported missing. The detectives on duty that day at the Goodness Detectives Office were considered not sufficiently experienced to handle a missing child investigation. I would suggest that if detectives, even trainee detectives, were not sufficiently trained to handle a missing child report, then perhaps they should not have been rostered for duty for any investigation. More experienced detectives were brought in on overtime. And overtime does not happen lightly in the Queensland Police Service. There are budgets to consider. It just happens that these two detectives brought in on overtime were the ones that pedophile Pete's family claim were his friends. The detectives the family claim was at their house every day during the investigation. The family claimed the detectives took pedophile Pete to the body disposal dump site. Why does pedophile Pete's name keep popping up in this investigation? Another coincidence in a saga where coincidences seem to be the norm. And you told me from day one, Graham, that you don't believe in coincidences. That's right, Jamie, and I still don't. And that's when you said you might be handing me a poison chalice. I did. (laughs) And and I guess I should ask you now, is it or was it a poison chalice? At, At parts it has been, yeah. I mean, for sure. Which parts? Well, how should I answer that? <laughs> At times, I have definitely thought that it was a poison chalice because, as you've heard, Michelle Laurie had the same problem uh, on her podcast, Australian True Crime. We just got inundated with trolls, hate mail, uh, threats. It just seems like somebody really didn't want us to do this podcast. So I guess when we published it, the first chapter and the second chapter, uh, I did kind of think, oh, shit, this is a poison chalice. Uh, but, you know, it's been worth it. Yeah, thanks for that. I agree with you. And uh, what I found interesting was the more information that we shared, the less the trolls had to um, throw at us. And it got to the point where they stopped uh, abusing us at all because the evidence, in my view, was just so overwhelming uh, that they gave up. But out of all that, no one ever told us who they were. They just... Yeah. It was always anonymous. Yeah. So, anyway. So, moving on, as part of our investigation into the case, we asked a retired Chief Magistrate of Queensland to explain to us to to detail the requirements for holding a coroner's inquest into the death of Leanne Holland. And it's quite complicated, but he did simplify it for us. And the retired magistrate's full report can be found on the website Who Killed Leanne Holland? You should be aware that there are two acts referred to, the Coroner's Act of 1958, which is the old act, and the Coroner's Act of 2003, the new act. And there are some significant and relevant comments from the retired magistrate. Section 7A of the old act confers jurisdiction to inquire and hold an inquest in every case where a person has died within the state. And under Section 7.1, a coroner had jurisdiction to inquire and was required to inquire forthwith into the cause and circumstances of the death of a person where information that the person is dead and in the coroner's opinion there is reasonable cause to suspect that the person has, amongst other things, died either a violent or unnatural death. So therefore, in 1991, a coroner was required to conduct an inquiry into the cause and circumstances of the death of uh, Leanne Holland. There was a rider uh, under Section 42.2 where if if before the commencement of any inquest, the coroner was informed that any person has been charged with an offence in which the question of whether the accused caused the death was an issue, the coroner was obliged, in absence of reason to the contrary, 
not to hold an inquest into the death until after the conclusion of the proceedings. So even if someone was arrested, an inquest was still required, but not until the charges were finalised. So what's now the position is that once Graham Stafford's conviction was quashed, surely Section 42.2 would become irrelevant or redundant. And in layman's speak, no one has been charged with the offence and therefore an inquest is obligatory. And I should add there's been several requests for an inquest into the death of Leanne, all of which have been refused by the Attorney-General, Yvette Darth. Graeme Stafford made an application in writing to the Queensland State Government in March 2016 requesting an inquest into the death of Leanne Holland. The Attorney-General, Yvette Darth, replied on 2 September 2016, rejecting his application. Graeme Stafford's uh, letter and the Attorney-General's reply can both be found on the website Who Killed Leanne Holland. Incidentally, we've been told separately and confidentially that Queensland Police opposed the application for an inquest and said exactly that in their correspondence to the Attorney-General. Their position was an inquest was not in the public interest. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In the rejection sent to Graham Stafford, the Attorney General did not mention any sections of the old or new act at all. What she said in part was... She required cogent, reliable evidence or new evidence to persuade her that holding an inquest was in the public interest. We can say that nowhere in the Old Coroners Act is there a requirement to produce cogent, reliable evidence or new evidence or any evidence. Would the petition with all the signatures on there, that would provide some evidence of public interest, wouldn't it? I, I agree. What I perceive we have to do is we have to force the Attorney-General or persuade her to change her position. And we do that either by showing there's considerable public interest or by media interest. Um, I think the best way will be some politician to stand up in Parliament and say, Attorney-General, you're breaching your own laws. You're obliged to hold an inquest and you're not. You're you're breaking the law and, and force her that way. That's how I think the outcome will be, but finding a politician who's prepared to do that, they're pretty light on the ground. So we asked the Attorney-General to join us on the podcast and to discuss her refusal to hold an inquest. The Attorney-General declined to be interviewed on this podcast. And we also emailed the Shadow Attorney-General, David Janetsky, uh, to come on the podcast, but he too declined. It's a shame because there's so many, like, you know, 15 chapters of this podcast There's just so many unanswered questions, right, throughout the whole case. There's so many unanswered questions that pop up, like how how the police dealt with some of the evidence that you've put forward. You know, the bank teller one is is comes to mind right now. Like that that's huge. But what what happened to it? Exactly. Yeah. There's only one thing that's left to do, mate, and that is to see 
that review. Exactly, yeah. So we asked David Field, a former solicitor for prosecutions for Queensland, an honorary adjunct associate professor of law at Bond University, for his opinion on whether there was an obligation on the part of the Queensland government to hold an inquest into Leanne Holland's murder. David is also the author of Queensland Evidence Law. Queensland Evidence Law explains and discusses the common law rules of evidence as affected by the Evidence Act 1977, which is Queensland legislation. So, Graham, uh, you had a phone conversation with Professor David Field, and did. here's what he had to say. Uh, you did record it uh, for me when I was um, recovering from surgery, so the, the audio is not as good as it could be, but it's, you can hear it. So um, here's the conversation. David, as you know, the Attorney General has refused to hold an inquest into the death of Leanne Holland, um, stating it was not in the public interest. You have had an opportunity to review the Coroner's Act. What can you tell us about her um, rejection? Well, I don't think it's justified. For one thing, it's misleading to suggest that she needs new evidence before she can hold an inquest. Um, If you look at the Act, uh, all that's required is um, that someone with a sufficient interest in the case um, makes an application and then the coroner's obliged by law to hold an inquest. That's the only ground for refusal. But quite apart from Graham himself, who clearly has an interest in clearing his own name, uh, there are obviously remaining family and friends of the ends who also want some answers. They're entitled to know what happened to her. It's also arguable, I think, that the people of Queensland want a few answers as well. I mean, Graham was formally acquitted of Leanne's murder in December 2009. So since that date, it's officially been a cold case. And if Graham Stafford didn't murder Leanne, who did? Um, How we reached a situation in which it's possible that the sadistic killer is still out there free to kill again. So I I think that's a concern as well. Uh, I agree. Um... And Graham Staff is not the only one who has applied to the uh, Attorney General. There have been others who um, who have applied for an inquest, and uh, we can only assume they were uh, refused as well. Yeah, I think everyone who has it who's subject to the Queensland criminal justice system has an interest in knowing that they're protected by that system, that it's been conducted competently and honestly. And there are some features in this case, I think, in which the... Uh, police set about solving Leanne's murder that give rise to some fairly grave suspicions that they didn't do it properly. David, can, is the Attorney-General breaking the law by refusing to hold an inquest? Uh, well, not breaking the law as such, no, but um, obviously people's opinions will vary on, on whether or not there's a public interest in having an inquest. Uh, opinions can vary, but uh, in view of the reasons I've got for thinking there should be uh, an inquest, I think it's arguable that, that to continue to refuse to make an order for an inquest, she isn't doing her job in the manner expected of her. And given that there's a state election pending in October, that's something the voting public might want to consider. I mean, there are serious problems with this case, and I think there's been a cover-up, quite frankly. Hmm. Can we force the Queensland government to um, hold an inquest? Is there any sort of mechanism to do that? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, but what normally motivates um, politicians is, um, you know, public opinion. And that's probably the greatest 
you can make the reasons for refusal very obvious and very public. And of course, the concerns should be made very public too. So, beyond that, I don't think you can force an inquest, no. So, the bottom line is that under the Coroner's Act 1958, the Attorney General, in your opinion, is is obliged, is obligated to hold an inquest into the death of Leanne Holland? I think that's the case that once someone with a sufficient interest in the case makes the application, that seems to me to be the only ground for refusal. I think all this stuff about fresh evidence is, frankly, a red herring. Mm. All right, David, thanks for your thoughts. Okay, you're very welcome. David Field's full opinion can be found on the website Who Killed Leanne Holland. At this time, Jamie, it may be appropriate to discuss the other inquest. And for those of you who may not be aware, Jamie produced another podcast before Who Killed Leanne Holland in 2019 called Beenham Valley Road. And that podcast examined the circumstances surrounding the brutal death of Kira McLaughlin in 2014 at Gympie, Queensland. The podcast was phenomenally successful and has a huge following. And Jamie, I... Sincerely congratulate you for your efforts in that podcast. There, there has been an inquest, or uh, there is an inquest in progress, and perhaps uh, you can tell us all about that. Yeah, so thank you, Graham, for mentioning that. So basically, in July this year, 2020, uh, the coroner's office announced they would be doing a coronial inquest into Kira McLaughlin's death, and it will be held in September, a few months later. So anyway, September 2nd to 5th in Gympie was the cranial and it was, it was, it was, there was a lot of buzz around it because everyone was kind of excited to hear what these people might say, especially Jason, who was Kira's partner at the time, but he didn't show, um, he's currently in jail and he was going to appear by video link, but the coroner adjourned it on the third day, uh, for a later time. So we didn't get to hear what he had to say, but I encourage everyone to watch Australian Story because Australian Story have done a two-part series on Beenham Valley Road and you'll be able to see it in, you know, for yourself. And we summarise the coronial there. What, what I can add is that um, Kira's family have been calling for an inquest for a very, very long time with, with no result. And I believe your podcast assisted in forcing the Queensland Government to hold an inquest sooner rather than later. And we are hopeful of a positive outcome, as as you know. And by positive, we mean resulting in someone being charged in relation to Kira's uh, death. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and hopefully we can replicate it with uh, Who Killed Leanne Holland, Jamie. I sincerely hope so. That's definitely the goal here. Because the question we wanted to ask and the question we wanted to answer, Who Killed Leanne Holland? And that's the title of the podcast. That was the title of your book. That's the question we set out to answer at the start of this podcast. And as we said previously, we honestly don't know. Uh, we have our suspicions, as you may well have. As you know, we have identified three persons we believe likely to have been involved. And Graham, you did a remarkable job in those early days in 2005 when you put that book together and you gathered all that information. It took a lot of work. I don't think people understand how much work went into that. And that book formed the basis 
of Graham Stafford's conviction being quashed. So good on you, mate, for sticking with it. Thanks, Jamie. I think if I was to ever go to jail, I'd want someone like you in my corner. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that is never the case, mate. But I think everyone deserves to have a fair trial and have somebody fighting for them and and checking the evidence and not just throwing someone away and locking the key. Uh, (laughs) Locking someone away and chucking the key. That's right, mate. Look, I've said all along, I don't think Dan Holland had a fair go and I don't think Graham Stafford had a fair go. And uh, and that's what I was, was about. In our minds, we've been able to reduce the three suspects even further, as you may have. Jamie, I've never said this publicly. My family and friends know my thoughts on this, but I think it's time to share these comments. I've long held a hope that one of the police officers involved in the original investigation would have the honesty and courage to put their hand up and say, enough is enough. The truth needs to be told. To those police involved, I'm sure you are listening. You are desperate to find out what we know and what we are saying. So I say this, man up, do the right thing, uphold the oath you swore when you became a member of the Queensland Police Service. With honour we serve, because I have not seen any honour in this shoddy debacle to this point. Yes, you may go to jail, Yes, you will be shamed, but what about now? Haven't you already been shamed? So what really happened to Leanne Holland? Well, this is our educated guess. Leanne Holland was assaulted and murdered by someone close to her. Someone she knew and trusted, but not Graham Stafford. Somewhere other than 70A Alice Street Goodner. Probably held alive overnight on the Monday or at least part of it. Police were alerted very early, perhaps on the Tuesday night, but most certainly by the Wednesday morning, that there had been a murder and Graham Stafford was the offender. We don't know if that information went up the chain of command or came down it, but the information ended up with Goodner detectives. And we believe the person who provided the information was trusted and reliable. A murder investigation was commenced with Graham Stafford as the main and only suspect. Evidence that could be used was accepted. Evidence that did not support him as the killer was discarded. Evidence was planted. Witnesses perjured themselves. Graham Stafford had inadequate and unprepared legal representation, which compounded the problem. Once a jury conviction is obtained in Queensland, it's extremely difficult to overturn it. And by that time, it was impossible to persuade the Queensland police that there had been a miscarriage of justice, that they got it wrong. Admitting they had made a mistake would involve loss of face, careers would be wrecked, and there'd be more embarrassing questions. Will the truth ever be known? And as Shakespeare is credited with saying, truth will out. We do not know how long, but we are confident it will happen. And I might add that to this day, the Queensland police continue to obfuscate, which just makes the the matter more difficult. And as Marcus Aurelius said, some 2,000 years ago. It's the truth I am after, and the truth never harmed anyone. What harms us is to persist in self-deceit and ignorance. That concludes our podcast, Who Killed Leanne Holland? We considered saying we hope you enjoyed it. However, this murder destroyed so many lives, we hoped you enjoyed it is not an appropriate ending. A more preferable comment may be, we hope you gained something from us. 
shining a light on this sad, sorry mess. If new information becomes known, we will produce a further chapter. So please follow our podcast so you will be immediately advised of any new chapters. Of course. And if you have any questions you would like Graham Stafford to answer personally, please send them in and we will put them to Graham Stafford and we will have him answer them in a later bonus episode. Uh, They could be about the murder, the investigation, his time in prison or anything else. Was there anything in this 15 chapters that we covered that was new to you or that's, that's changed your opinion on any sort of matters? Jamie, two matters have been highlighted for me. It has crystallized in my mind who the killer is most likely to have been. When we started this podcast, uh, I was unsure. We, we had suspects, of course. I knew Graham Stafford didn't kill Leanne, but I couldn't definitively say who was more likely to have murdered her. Now I have a firm opinion. You probably have your own opinion as well. But for the moment, I'll keep that opinion to myself. The other matter which became evident, to me anyway, as we progressed, was that there was never, ever going to be any other outcome from the police review. Concluding Graham Stafford did not kill Leanne Holland or was not involved was just too problematic for the Queensland Police. It was never, ever going to happen. Yes, I'm aware there were independent observers to that review, but I stand by that opinion and I watch with interest if anyone produces evidence to the contrary. That, of course, cannot be done without also providing the police review report. I can understand why the Queensland Police went with the result that they did. I don't agree with it, but I can understand it. There was professional pride, self-preservation, but mostly ego. They simply weren't willing to say they may have made a mistake. I just also say, Jamie, this it's been fabulous working with you, and uh, hopefully we can do another podcast. i got to say, it's been an honour to work with you too, and you're an extremely knowledgeable investigator, and I've learned a lot from you. And I thank you for reaching out to me and uh, providing me with this opportunity. Cheers, Jamie. So thank you very much for listening to Who Killed Leanne Holland. And please share us with your friends and family or any of those interested in true crime. It does go a long way to help us. Thank you. We will leave you with a comment by the late, great trial jury foreman, Bluey Hobbs, who came to be a great mate of Graham Stafford and his mother, Jean. Who would have thought? the jury foreman and the defendant becoming good mates. And not only does Bluey's comments sum up the whole trial, but we say it sums up the whole case from start to finish. This is his voice. And we acknowledge Channel 7 for the audio. When asked if the jury got the verdict wrong, he replied, You got it wrong? No. No, we didn't get it wrong. We got hoodwinked. Before we leave, we'd like to say thank you to a few people. Firstly, our wives. A lot of work goes into this podcast, and as a result, you pick up our slack. I'd like to thank my parents for your support and encouragement and help along the way. Uh, To our families, both Graham's family and my family, all of our guests who came on the podcast and shared their expertise and their thoughts, Graham Stafford for giving us his time and uh, willing to answer any question 
and also his partner, Jackie. Joe Crowley, uh, for your participation and your work on this case. Greg Carey, for all your input and your advice throughout the series. Jordan from ACAST, uh, you've answered a million and one questions from me and you've always been there to help. My auntie Vivi over in Texas, who played and wrote some music that I've used throughout the series. Uh, Bubba Beats, who contacted me on Instagram and provided me with a, a library of sounds to use. So thank you, mate. Alex Rodier from Paperbox Studios on the Sunshine Coast for mixing and mastering. Uh, my sister-in-law, Courtney, uh, for drawing some great chapter artwork. And also, I've been fortunate to connect with a few companies that have supported me during this project and other projects. So firstly, Zoom, I use them for recording field recordings. Also, I use uh, the Zoom H6 Handy Recorder as an interface as well. Zoom's been great to me. Uh, Audio Technica Australia, I use all Audio Technica microphones and also headphones. They've been so supportive. Uh, Yamaha Music Australia, um, when I play my podcast back, I listen to it on uh, a set of uh, Yamaha monitors. So I use and recommend those brands and thank you for supporting me. And lastly, thank you to the listener, to you. Without you, it wouldn't be possible. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. It was recorded, edited, and theme song by Jamie Poults. This episode was mixed, mastered, and additional editing by Alex Rodier at Paperbark Studios. The music for this episode was entirely produced by Bubba Beats, and you can find him on SoundCloud or Instagram or Spotify. Just look for at Bubba Beats. If you like any of the sounds that you hear and you are a podcaster looking to make a true crime podcast, then you can purchase his sounds. All the links will be in the show notes. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland and also at 610 Media Group. Also head to our websites and you can read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanneholland.com and 610mediagroup.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, share us with your friends and don't forget to rate and review us. It does help. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.